series called, what is it? We Have a Dream. And this series, as I mentioned in previous weeks, is basically the summary of 11 weeks on Wednesday nights and five-hour leadership retreat we did, and we wanted the whole church to kind of hear what God is doing and where the church is heading. And it's been great to see all of you respond to uh, what the Lord is doing. And before we, we jump into the text, a few updates on um, recent events. We um, This past Saturday we had a yard sale, and that was really fun. We had all these volunteers wearing their new Arden First shirts, bright, I think it's like Caribbean blue. So that was really fun. So a special thanks to all the volunteers. And it's interesting with their volunteers, they turned the yard sale into an outreach event, which I've never seen before. They were passing out invite cards, inviting people to church. Hey, while you're here, come back tomorrow. And so that was really great. You can be creative, turn a yard sale into an outreach event. So that, that was great. So I want to thank all the volunteers for helping out. And um, this coming Wednesday, I want to encourage everyone to come out. We are doing a special message that's going to be geared towards the community and we've done some research on the people surrounding this community and this Wednesday night we're going to tell you about who lives in your neighborhood. You may be surprised at the people, some of you know, um, that there's such diversity in the South Asheville community. So we're going to give you some research and data that we've we found out and we're going to talk about how can we reach our community. So that's important. Most of you know about Sunday Night Life tonight. It starts at 630 Uh Brother Stephen and Elaine and several of our musicians from the church are going to be doing a special musical performance. And Pastor Mitch Korn, from, who is pastoring a church in Hendersonville, is going to be speaking and sharing a little bit about his story, about the journey that God has taken him through. So it will be very interesting to hear a little bit about his story. Before we jump into God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that we can worship you and we, we serve a mighty Savior. And Father, ask and pray as we look into this We Have a Dream and we conclude the series that you would speak to our hearts and that we would be transformed and renewed. Father, I know many people came here today carrying burdens for family, for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, financial concerns, health concerns, and God, all those things we submit to you and just pray that you would just be with that. Father, as we go into this worship service, we pray your blessing will be upon this time. We pray that you would bring about transformation, you'd bring about hope, and that, God, we would experience all that you have for us. So, Father, we commit the service to you and lift it up to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's children said, Amen. So today we're going to talk about core values. Last week we talked about the vision. The week before that we talked about mission. And today we're going to talk about core values. And if you're wondering what this guy up here is doing, his name's Aaron. And he's one of our gifted artists. And he's going to be painting a picture, which by the end of the message it will emerge. And you'll find out. So I'm not telling you what it is until the end. So we talked about last week how what if we were a church that had a heart for the community? What if we were a church that loved on single moms and helped them with with their family situation? What if we were a church that had a heart for widows and orphans and the homeless? What if we were a church that had a heart for people behind bars? What if we were a church that had a heart for senior adults and we said, senior adults, it's the greatest time of your life to make an investment in eternity. And as I heard um, this African-American lady who was 65, she said, I retired, but now I'm going to refire. And I'm like, wow, I remember that. 
And um, what if we were a church where young adults could get a vision for their life and they could realize that college was just the beginning. It was just one step in the journey. What if we were a church where students realize that God has a, a destiny ahead and they don't need to get sidetracked because they have a greater vision of what the Lord has? What if we're a church where singles thrive and they realize, and I'm going to wait and serve the Lord and whatever the future holds, I'm going to be content where I'm at. What if we're a church where young families flourished and they realize that this is a place that loves on kids? And if you hear kids screaming in the sanctuary, that's a sign of growth. That's a sign that we, we are making a difference. What if we were that church? How many of you would want to go to that church? All right. Well, you're in that church. We are starting the process of God doing something. So every vision has to be based upon a mission. And every mission has to have core values because without core values... How do you know if you're doing the right thing? How do you know if you're on the right path? Core values are that which you say, let's say if you're a student in school or college, core values tell you I don't want to cheat because I'm a person of integrity. Whenever you're married and, um, gentlemen, you're, in the, you're sitting there in the office and attractive secretary comes by and, you know, she's a little friendly, core values say I'm going to be faithful to my spouse because I'm a person of character. Ladies, core values are when you're out with the girlfriends and uh, there, there's someone that's a downer in the group and they're talking about how bad their husband. Of course, ladies never do this, right? But they're talking about how bad their husband is and you're like, listen, we need to uplift your husband. We don't need to talk negative. I'll pray for you. And you, you kill the negativity and you flip it to positive because you're a woman of virtue. That's what core values are. So today we're going to jump into the text. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to have core values as a church. We're going to talk about the early church and some of their actions and some of their core values. And then we're going to apply it to Arden first. What are our core values? If we could look through the whole Bible, there's many values, but how can we summarize the top ones for Arden first? So let's jump into the text, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 40. It says, And with many other words... He testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, do you think that's applicable to today's culture? The world has gone so far um, in the other direction from God. It says, then those who received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, can you imagine, for those of you who ever delivered a message to a Sunday school class or to a group, and you presented a gospel invitation, could you imagine 3,000 people getting saved? You know, people talk about having a bucket list. That's on my bucket list. I want, I want to preach one day where 3,000 people get saved and baptized. Maybe I'll live to see that. I'm, I'm still young, so if the Lord tarries. So, verse 42, Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking bread and prayers. Notice, it wasn't just pray this prayer and then we got another notch for the church. It was like, you're a part of the community. We're going to live life together. We're going to study the word together. We're going to go to each other's houses. That's what the early church was about. Read on with me to the next verse. It says, look at the result of the community. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And it says that all those who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And I think all things in common is not that everyone is just alike, but they had the faith of Jesus Christ that united them. All things concerning the faith and the gospel, they were united. And it says they sold their possessions and goods 
and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now notice the result of the unity of the church, them loving on each other, not just meeting in large group in the church setting, but they met in homes. It says, the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. Now, wouldn't that be amazing if you saw people come into Christ every single day? Not just on Sundays, but it was throughout the week. That's the power of people being united around a mission, a vision, and sharing these values that we see in the early church. So let's jump over two chapters to Acts chapter 4. We're going to see the early church continuing to progress. And here we see they're facing some opposition. They're facing some people that are pushing back. In verse 12 it says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of them, the rest, dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. So in other words, the community's watching on and they're kind of with a holy awe. What's going on at the church? And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of people, Peter, passing by might fall on some of them, also a multitude, um, it says, they gathered around the cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So you see, with the power of the gospel going out, the power of God working in the community, you see sick people getting healed. Wouldn't that be amazing if we saw that in today's church, where sick people are coming forward and God is miraculously healing? I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, it says God doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And he can still do miracles today. Amen. And skip down to verse number, let's say verse number 17. It says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Now, isn't that amazing that people are getting saved, people are getting healed, and religious people are getting ticked off about it? That's kind of sad, isn't it? And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So, in other countries, we see this today, that people who are preaching the gospel are getting either put in prison or losing their life for the sake of Christ. So that's happening in the world today. It wasn't just in Bible times. And it says that, um, the next verse, 19, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, notice what happened. If you were just in prison and where they arrested you, say around the temple area, God says, go back to where you got arrested and preach again. How many of you would be willing to say, okay, I'll do it again? I mean, that's pretty bold, isn't it? They're like, okay, look what they did. So when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Notice they didn't wait. They didn't pray about it. They just like, God told me to do it. They got up early and they did it. But the high priest and those who were with them, called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison and brought them. But when the officers did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these sayings, they wondered about the outcome would be. And look at verse 25. So when... So someone came and told them, saying, look at the men you put in prison. They're standing in the temple, 
and they are teaching the people. May God bless his word. So here you have the boldness of the early church. And I wish the church in America would catch a little bit of the passion and the pursuit of whatever God tells me to do. Because that's what changes life, the boldness. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us boldness in today's church. That when God tells us to do something, instead of like, well, let me pray about that, and six months later we're still praying about it, when God says do it, we obey and we're ready to do it. So let's look, if you'll take out your listening guides in your bulletin, we're going to talk about a few of the actions and core values of the early church, and then we're going to apply it to our church today. So number one, we see discipleship. We see discipleship. If you look back at Acts 2, it says they were discussing the apostles' doctrine. Discipleship equals discipline. It's being able to say, you know what, I'm going to study, I'm going to focus, I'm going to go after it. I've been listening to an autobiography by Tim Tebow called Through My Eyes. And when I, when I listen to his story, it's interesting that he was disciplined from the time of a child. He had to convince his parents to let him lift weights. And he was like a you know, teenager saying, I'm ready to work out. And he was, he was telling this story. Any of you guys ever been to like a men's retreat where they have young, guy, young guys and older men? So he was at this men's retreat of all these older men, and he was a 14-year-old kid. And they did this competition of they had the preacher curl bar. Anybody ever done the preacher curl? It's got a little curve, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So they had 55 pounds on it, and it was the young guys... Versus the older guys. And they were competing. So they had a single file line. And the goal was to beat the person in front of you. So the first guy got maybe 10, 15. Second guy said, I'll beat it. So it built up to 30, 40. I think the record was like 50 something. And Tim Tebow was at the end of the line with only one person behind him. And he said, you know what? I've got to beat all these guys that went before me. And there's one guy behind me. So I've got to do something that's going to beat all of the competition. So he started curling that 55-pound bar as a 14-year-old kid. He got to 30, to 40. His arms were starting to burn. He got to 50. He finally beat the record. And then he got to 60, to 80, to 100. He said once he got to 100, his arms were so numb, he just kept pumping the weight. And he got to 200, kept pumping the weight. He got over, it was like 320 reps, and he blew everyone away. And I'm sure all the older guys were like, that 14-year-old kid just beat everybody. No one could even come close. The reason for that is he had discipline. So when you think of discipleship, it doesn't mean to follow Jesus and to learn from him, but it means you're disciplined to where you're willing to follow him each day. If you're with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, you guys are awake. The second thing we see in the early church is fellowship. Fellowship, when we read through the Bible, a lot of times we think of fellowship as a bunch of Baptists eating donuts and drinking juice. Now that, that can include fellowship, but biblical Koinonia is basically two or more people on a mission doing something with a purpose. Now, that may involve eating donuts and juice, but it doesn't end there. It may start there. So let me read you a quote by John Wesley. He said, I want the whole Christ for my Savior. I want the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. Amen. (laughs) If some of us would just declare that, that would be amazing. So... I read this story. Do we have any truck drivers in the house today? I know J.D.'s in the back somewhere. So there was this young lady named Linda, and she was a single lady, and she was traveling through Alberta, Canada, and she was going to this beautiful mountaintop peak, and she decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel by myself. I'm, I'm a single lady, but I'm going to make it. So she checks in at a hotel, 
And she tells the front desk clerk, wake me up at 5 a.m. I'm going to go to the top of the mountain. And the desk clerk just gave her this look like, are you kidding me? And he didn't say anything. So she got up at 5 a.m. And when she looked out, she saw this blanket of fog. And she's like, oh, that's why the desk clerk gave me the weird look. Because no one can drive at 5 a.m. in Canada in the mountains because it's completely covered in fog. So she went and had breakfast. And she saw two truck drivers sitting there. And they invited her to come join her. And since there was hardly anyone else eating breakfast, she said, okay. And they asked her, what are you doing today? And she said, well, I'm driving to the top of the mountain. And they said, you're kidding me. Are you driving that little Honda Civic that's beat up out there? And she said, yeah. He said, you're going to get lost in the fog. You can't do that. And she said, well, I'm going to try. And one of the truck drivers said, oh, we need to hug her. And she's like, oh, no, you're not going to hug me. You're not going to touch me. And he said, no, you don't understand. Hugging means one of us will drive our trucks before you. And one of us will drive our trucks behind you. So all you have to do is follow us up the mountain through the fog. And if you'll just follow the two red dots, i.e. my back taillights, you will make it up the top. So she's like, okay. So the two truck drivers hugged her, one in the front, one in the back. And she just followed the two dots all the way to the top of the mountain through the fog. And that story kind of resonated with me because we're in a fog sometimes. Especially when you're going through trials, adversity. And we need fellowship. We need people that are saying, listen, I've been where you've been. I've been through the circumstances you've been. And I've been ahead of you. So if you'll just follow me, I'll help you get through it. We're going to get through this. Isn't it great if you're going through a hard time and someone says you're going to make it? I've been through what you've been through. You're going to make it. That's what fellowship. It's, it's two or more people on a mission. We're going to get through this. We're going to reach people. Let, let's go. Fellowship and comforting each other. The third thing of the early church is prayer. Now, let's be honest with each other. Prayer is really hard. How many of you have a hard time praying? Let's just be honest. It's hard. Um, C.S. Lewis said it like this. The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush on you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking the other point of view, and letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. I think that's so true. If you don't start with God, it's hard to make it through the day. Amen. When asked in his uh, ministry, many of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon. We've got a quote here. I love it. When asked the British preacher, tell me about the success of your ministry. Here's what he said. My people pray for me. Augustine said, pray as though everything depended upon God and work as though everything depended upon you. So prayer is not just an escape of reality. Prayer is saying, I'm going to trust God, and then I'm going to work so hard. It's trusting God, and then it's doing your part. So it's an active thing. So prayer. I remember when I was uh, church planning in South Asheville, we had these these really nice signs we'd put out. Some of you have driven by the the churches on Longshoals. They have all these flags and signs everywhere. We had the the A-frame signs that they were pretty expensive. And one day I was tired after preaching on Sunday, so I left the signs out. And on Monday I went to go pick them up, and guess what? The city of Asheville had already got them. And I'm like, these are all our church signs, and we don't have any money to buy any more. What are we going to do? And the city of Asheville was like, you're going to have to pay at least $50 a sign to get them all back. And I'm like, uh, no. So what I did is, you know, instead of getting discouraged, I basically, God, help us. I don't know what we're going to do, but God, help us. And I remember contacting a billboard company. I was like, okay, if you get pushback, you've got to just go bigger, right? Go bigger or go home. So I contacted a billboard company, 
And they gave us five free billboards. So I'm like, Ashley, you can have those signs. All we had to do is pay for the material on the billboards. Five free billboards. So I'm like, City of Asheville, you can keep those signs. So prayer allows you to see past your circumstances and see from God's perspective. Sometimes you have pushback because God is using that as a setup. Your setback is becoming a setup for something greater. Amen? We see generosity in the early church. Generosity. It says they were selling things and giving to the poor. I think a generous heart is tapped into the benevolence of God that for God to love the world that he did what? He gave. Whenever you love, you're willing to give. Is it possible to love without giving? Whenever you love God, you're willing to give. The story is told of Alexander the Great. Many of you have studied him in Western civilization. He was walking along the road one day and he saw this beggar. And this beggar was asking him for just a little, a few copper coins. He said, Alexander, help me. And obviously Alexander didn't have to respond to the beggar. And that day and time the emperor probably wouldn't even look at him. But Adam, uh, Alexander looked at the, the beggar and he asked one of his uh, court assistants. He said, give him several gold coins. And he was just like, are you kidding me? A few copper coins would suit the needs of a beggar. And Alexander responded, a few copper coins may suit the needs of a beggar, but gold coins suit the giving of Alexander. And he gave him gold coins. I think we as Christians should be the most generous people in the world. Amen? So we have generosity. We have constant community. Notice that they met together in large groups and in small groups. They met from the temple and from what? House to house. You know, I'm really excited about Arden First because we're launching several new Sunday school classes starting. As we mentioned, we've got a lot of great classes currently going. And we realize there's a lot of people that aren't connected to a small group. So after Labor Day, starting September 11th, there's going to be a new young adult class. Brother Cur- uh, Taught by myself and Lori. Brother Kirby's doing a new group for people kind of in the middle age segment. And then I heard uh, Lisa Beeson is doing a new group for ladies on Monday night. And I heard about another group that's going to be at a house, and another group's supposed to be launching at another house just for young adults, young married. So we got all these new groups starting. So I think that's a good sign that the church is realizing, okay, it's great to come to worship together, but we've got to live life together. And that's part of a small group. If you only come to a worship service, you're only experiencing half of the life of the church. When you get plugged into a small group, you experience the community. That really helps. Amen? We have unity. It says that they were in one accord. It's been said that two chickens tied at the legs and thrown over a clothesline may be united, but they do not have unity. I'll say that again. Two chickens tied together and thrown over a clothesline may be united, but they do not have unity. So being together is not unity. It's being together in one accord, having purpose. We see the early church... They had community impact. Notice that you saw thousands getting saved. Many people coming to Christ. In the past few months, the Lord has been gracious to us. Many of you have seen what the Lord's doing. We've sent out out about 15,000 mailers into the community. We've seen people come. Uh, Recently, we threw a pool party at an apartment complex and reaching out to them. We've had an outreach to homeschoolers. We've just different things. And our, our heart, kind of give you an idea where we're going, our goal is... Every month, we'd love to be doing different outreaches all around the community. It may be something as simple as putting quarters in a laundromat and talking to people. It may mean going door to door. It may mean meeting someone at a coffee shop. But our church 
is a church that's on mission, just like the early church. We have effective evangelism. If you notice in this text, how many people got saved from Peter's message? 3,000 people. Do you think there's that many people that need Christ today? Just in this road alone? Just within, within three miles of the church, as I mentioned, there's about 15,000 addresses. And statistically, I think it's about 60-70%, somewhere in that ballpark, many of them do not go to church. So our, our goal is to reach out to that. Anybody ever heard the name Edward Kimball? Some of you may have heard of most have not. Well, Edward Kimball was a no-name person by many. He was a shoe salesman. And he was a Sunday school teacher. And we've got several Sunday school teachers in here. But Edward Kimball was not satisfied just to teach Sunday school. He would go out into his classmates' lives and see where they worked at and love on them. And one day in the back room of a shoe, shoe store, he, he shared the gospel. He was really nervous that day. He didn't really want to do it because he was doing work hours. But he shared the gospel with this young boy. And he prayed to receive Christ. And the young boy said he could see tears in Edward Kimball's eyes when he shared the gospel. That young boy, does anybody know his name? Was D.L. Moody, who was the famous pastor evangelist. D.L. Moody led F.B. Meyer to Christ. F.B. Meyer became a pastor and led Billy Sunday, the famous baseball player, to Christ. Billy Sunday did an effective evangelism crusade in Charlotte, and he asked Mordecai Ham to come and speak. And Mordecai Ham led another young person to Christ by the name of Billy Graham. But it all started with one Sunday school teacher that worked at a shoe store and shared with a young, young man about Christ, young, actually a young, young kid at the time. So it all started with one person. You never know the person that you share the gospel with, what, what kind of impact that's going to have on their life. You may be leading the next Billy Graham to Christ and not even know it. Also, we see the early church, there was a healing ministry. Notice that people were getting healed. I think healing ministry is important in churches. People have habits and hurts and hang-ups. People have addictions. People have physical things. And as a church, we've got to be not just sympathetic, but have empathy for those people. We see, number ten, boldness in the face of adversity. Boldness. What does it mean to be bold? I think being bold is you're scared to death, but you do it anyways, because you know that God is with you and for you. Philip Brooks said, it does not take great men to do great things. It only takes consecrated men. I'll say that again. It doesn't take great men to do great things. Only consecrated men. So God is wondering, is there anyone here that their hearts are fully His? Is there anyone here that's saying, God, you have all of me? Because God will take such a person and use them. I read about David Livingston recently. Some of you have heard of him. He was a pioneer missionary to Africa. And it's been said that he walked over 29,000 miles. Can you imagine? Some of you who carry the little apps, pedometers, and how many steps. 29,000 miles to share the gospel. And he ministered half blind. So for those of us who have physical problems, it didn't stop him. He kept going. Unfortunately, his, his wife died early in his ministry, but he kept going. His Scottish brethren didn't agree with his style of ministry or whatever, but he kept going. And I want to read this quote to you that he said. This really spoke to me. He said, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burdens on me, only sustain me. Sever from me any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. Wow. If, if some of us could just pray half that prayer, our lives would be changed. 
So those are some of the core values of the early church, some of the actions they did. So what about Arden First? Well, on Wednesday nights, we've been asking the people, you know, what should the church be about? What should be our core values? The leadership retreat, what should we be about? And many gave some different thoughts and really good things. And here's what we've come up with, 12 basic things, and I'll go through these quickly. The first one is Jesus is at the center. Our church is a church that believes in what God is doing. We serve a trinity, a Father, Son, and the Spirit. But in the Bible, Jesus is at the center. And we're going to have a Christ-centered focus. And what that means is we're going to focus on the gospel. We're going to focus on his death, his burial, his resurrection. Not just for salvation, but also for Christian living. Because how many of you realize the gospel helps you have the power to make it through a hard day at work? The gospel helps you have peace, even in the face of suffering. Number two, we strive to be biblical and balanced. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and what else? Truth. And here's the tension there. Some churches focus on grace and they minimize truth. So if you have a grace church that doesn't have a really big focus on truth, it leads to liberalism. Anything goes. Jesus is going to love you anyways. And some churches that many of us have been familiar with in Appalachia, they're heavy on truth and light on grace. And that leads to legalism. Either extreme, liberalism... And we're talking about spiritual here. Or legalism. Both are pitfalls. But Jesus was full of both. He was full of grace and truth. So Arden First, there's a tension there to show grace and yet to be truthful. But somehow we've got to have that tension to be biblical, to be balanced. Number three, love is our language here and prayer is our passion. So when people come through the church, they need to feel like they're loved, they're cared for. And by the way, you guys are getting the reputation People I've talked to said, man, Arden First is such a loving church. And when people ask me, how's your church going? One of my first responses, man, they, they love each other. And that's the greatest compliment you guys could get. Jesus said, by this, people will know you're my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. And out of that flows everything else. And prayer is our passion. We've got two prayer groups meeting now on Sunday mornings. And our goal is to continue that. If you're interested in a prayer group, whether Kirby leads one at nine I leave one at 9.15 in my office, and that's just the beginning of other prayer groups that will continue. Number four, we are a lighthouse for truth. We believe that God's word is truth, and it will be a beacon to people in the community. So we want to be a lighthouse of truth. Amen? Number five, and by the way, just kind of our approach for number five, we, we believe in expositional teaching of the word, meaning that we, we teach through the Bible. It's great to have topical messages occasionally, nothing wrong with that. But we think a healthy diet of biblical preaching and teaching in our Sunday school classes, Sunday morning, is going to help you guys be balanced Christians. Because so many people in our culture are biblically illiterate. They, they go to church, but they don't really know the Bible. We're trying to change that. So we, we really want to preach through books of the Bible. And by the way, next Sunday we're launching into the book of Philippians, verse by verse. So it's going to be, First Peter was really uh, deep and heavy as far as holiness and suffering and challenging topics, I should say. For, uh, Philippians is the book of joy. So some of you can be like, oh, we made it through the series on suffering. It's going to be joy, so we try to keep things balanced. Number five, we are a place of grace. And that means that people can come just as they are, but when God's love is shown and God's truth is preached, people leave change. So come as you are, but be expected to leave change because we do present the truth. So there's that balance, again, of, of grace and truth. And it's going to be ongoing challenge to say, okay, we want to love you, but I love you so much I need to tell you the truth. 
Um, they're saying here is belong, what is it? Believe and become. So belong means you come just as you are. No matter what baggage, hurts, hang-ups, you're going to feel, feel the love. Believe is not just salvation, that's part of it, but believe is applying God's word and say, God, I believe your word. So the first one is you feel the love. Believe is you receive the love. And then once you receive the love and you apply God's word, then you become what God wants you to become. So belong, believe, and become. Number six, our mission is the great what? Jesus told us to go and make disciples. So part of that is we've we got to get out in the community. We've got to get out on the mission fields. We've got to reach people. So we're going to be working on that. Number seven, and this is a unique one for um, many churches. And in our research, uh, there's not many churches that have this in their core values, but families matter. We are here to help building thriving families, and we are all about the family unit. So if you feel like you're alone, guess what? You still have a spiritual family. You still have brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're single here and you're not part of a family, you are now. You're part of the Arden First family. Amen? Number eight, and this is another unique one that's very different from a lot of churches. I'm trying to kind of tell you guys where it's a little unique, is we are kingdom expanders. And what this means is... We are not just about us. We're about every Bible-believing, God-fearing church. So what that means is we're here to help all churches succeed, not just Arden First. You know, a lot of times, let's just be honest, churches, it can be like a competition. So how many numbers are you running? Well, I'm running this. How many are you running? Instead, it should be, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? So we're trying to change the conversation with churches of how can we be a blessing to you? Because think about it. We're serving a king in a kingdom. And this is not the only part of God's kingdom. This is just one small dot. And it's a wide kingdom out there. We want to help people. Amen. Number nine, a healing ministry. Our goal in the future is to start up ministries um, such as a celebrate recovery, such as a grief share, people that have lost spouses. Because we know that this world, many in our congregation have voids in their life. Many people have hurts. Many people have habits, and we're like, you know, we want to accept you just the way you are and allow God's love, truth, and grace transform you. So we're having conversations with people about Celebrate Recovery, about grief share, and how we can do things like that. If you're with me, say, uh-huh. I know it's a lot of information, so I'm trying to summarize 11 weeks into three, three messages. Number nine, we have a do-whatever-it-takes mentality, and we strive to do all things with excellence. So in other words, if Jesus says go and do, we're like, we'll do. We're not, we're not going to let excuses hold us back any longer. Um, we're, really, we're really trying, if you notice around the church, we're trying to make the church an attractive place to be. My mother told me something that she heard way back in the day, and I thought it was really good. And this is kind of an old-timer saying, but I think it's so true. She said, if you wouldn't have your house look like this, why would you want the church to look like this? If you have this respect for your house... You know, like if someone breaks your window to your house, you're going to fix it, right? We should have an even greater respect for God's house, amen? So I think that, that saying that goes way back in the day, we're trying to bring back and say, we want to have a place that the community can come in and know that uh, we, we, we really feel great about you. There are kids' ministries, there are families, there are senior adults. There's places where that, that you can experience God's love, and it's attractive environments. So, by the way, great job. He was doing this all behind me. You notice this is our new logo symbol for the A. And the centerpiece for that is the cross in the letter A. So thank you, Aaron. Very good. 
I wanted Aaron to do something to symbolize that we have a dream and kind of as we wrap this series up, I think that, that was really good. Number 10, and I'm being quick, we seek to be culturally relevant without compromising the truth. So what that means is God's word doesn't change. I'm kind of like a Domino's pizza boy. I, I just deliver the goods. I don't invent it. I don't make it. I'm just a delivery boy. And all of us just deliver the goods. And we can't change the Bible as much as culture asks us to. We can't. But at the same time, we seek to be culturally relevant. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is the message never changes. The Bible never changes. But how we present it, we have to communicate in a way where you can understand it. You guys get me? So if I'm speaking a language you guys don't understand, it's hard for you to understand the message. So that we say it like this. The message never changes, but the methods have to change so the message is understandable. If you're with me, say, uh-huh. All right. Number 11. We have a heart for the community, the city, and the world. So it's got to start in your backyard, but it's not going to end there. It starts across the street, around the block, and ends up around the world. But we're going to start right here in South Asheville, and we're going to continue to expand. And it's, like I said, it's not just us. We're going to partner with other churches in reaching our community, our city, and our world. And number 12, and you guys will remember the story of Alexander the Great, we are extravagant givers. We want to be a blessing to others. I don't know about you, but when someone has a heart of generosity, that's very attractive because it mirrors the heart of God. For God's love of the world that he gave. So we're going to give of our time, we're going to give of our talent, and we're going to give of our resources. Imagine in the church, we've talked about this before, generally speaking, 20% of the people in the church do 80% of everything, right? The serving, the giving, the, the volunteering, everything. What, what if we change that? What if everybody gave of their time and said, you know what, I'm going to serve. What if everybody found a spiritual gift that God had given them and they said, listen, I'm not using this, but I'm going to use it. Because I'm not just living for this world, I'm living for eternity. How can I use my gift? What if everybody began to be generous givers? What could we do in the community? What could we do in the city? What could we do in the world? So in conclusion, values are the core of who you are and why you do the things you do. So let's strive to value the things that will truly matter for eternity. i got a short video clip of a preview of next Sunday. And in just a moment we're going to play it. But I want to encourage everyone to bring a friend. Here's a little series we're starting next Sunday. That starts the next week. So this time we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And I'll, I'll give you instructions about that in just a moment. Father, thank you for your message. And God, we covered a lot of information. I realize that. So I pray that we'll be able to go back and look at these notes later. But Father, my prayer is at Arden First that we would be a church that's on a mission. And that mission is to love God and love people. God, I pray that we would have a vision that's bigger than ourselves. And that vision would be to go out and share the love of Jesus and to make an eternal impact. And God, I pray that our mission and our vision would be founded on core values, like Jesus is at the center, and we're biblical and balanced and so on and so forth. Father, I pray for each person here that, Lord, you'd speak to them. 
that you would help them to consider their own values, whether it aligns with Scripture or not. Right now, just with everyone praying, no one looking around, if there be one here today that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you would just pray a prayer of faith, it's no magic of what you say. It's your heart reaching out to God. Say something like, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again. I open the door of my heart and ask you to come in. Forgive me of my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, come see one of us after the service. Fathers, we continue on and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what Jesus did. I pray that we would use this opportunity to, to reflect and we would look this opportunity to look forward to your coming again. We pray this in the name of all names. Jesus, we pray and all God's children said, Amen. This time we're going to go into the time.